Okay, good morning. I'm Julia. Uh, we're going to read Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, after that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you, sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Jules. Five to eight. You're going to head out now with Jordo and learn from the Bible. Be nice to Jordo. <laughs> um, are you guys cold on that side? We can shut the door. Do you want to shut the door? No? No? Sure? Okay. All right. Um, now, when you came in, you will have received... I haven't introduced myself. Sorry. My name's Gavin. I'm the pastor of the church with my joy and blessing. If you're new this morning, I hope to get to meet you. Uh, morning tea. There's a few people who are new-ish, and it's great that you're here and still here and keep coming back. That's great. Um, great to see you again uh, here this morning. Uh, when you came in, you will have received a 2 Samuel Bible reading plan. And can I commend it uh, to you? Can I commend reading your Bible regularly uh, in general? And if you kind of have any, don't know where to start with your Bible reading, daily Bible reading, uh, hit me up and I'll let you know because it's wonderful to be reading the Bible. And we've been learning through Titus that it's God's word and God's truth that does the transforming. That's what changes us into godliness. It's not about trying harder that makes us more godly. It's reading God's word that makes us more godly, which is a benefit to us and benefit to our families, our church and our community. And that's, that's the movement we see in Titus. 
God's gospel impacting us and those around us, and then our church last week in Titus 2 and today, the world uh, at large. And so it's good to be reading the Bible, and Clem has helpfully put together this 2 Samuel Bible reading plan, because we're starting a new preaching series next week in 2 Samuel, and that'll take us right through to the end of um, Term 3 and into the holidays. is going to be here preaching to us uh, next week, and Clem's put together this Bible reading plan. And it's not very onerous. Uh, there's three readings a week. So if you miss out on Monday, that's all right. Uh, you can still um, get to it on Tuesday and do a reading. And if you haven't done any readings by Friday, well, you really need to get onto it because then it's one a day um, from then to the end of the week. But I, I highly commend to keep this handy in your Bible or on the fridge or something on the bench and um, do the Bible readings uh, throughout the week. If you're married, perhaps you could do one or two of the Bible readings together. Um, that will be beneficial as well. So, yeah, make use of that throughout the next uh, 12 weeks. That'll be, that'll be really good. Let me pray as we come to Titus. So I'll pray again. Loving Father and Almighty God, we do thank you for what you've taught us so far in uh, Paul's letter to Titus. And we pray that you teach us again this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit and um, convince us of these wonderful truths of, of your mercy and kindness and goodness to us and grow our thankfulness and our peace of mind and our hope for the future as we read your word this morning and grow our love uh, for people around us and our desire to live the good life in the world, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've learned so far in uh, our study of Titus, chapter 1, we learned that faith in Jesus leads us to godliness. It's faith in Jesus and it's faith in his word, hence reading his word that transforms our hearts. If we think something's important, we'll make it a priority, right? So reading God's word transforms our hearts. It leads us to repentance and faith in Jesus. If you want to, you know, if you're exploring who Jesus is and not yet a Christian, we'll get into his word and hit up a Christian friend to help you get into his word because that's what will change your heart. And uh, God's word grows us who are Christians in Christ's likeness. As we read his word, we become more like him. We become more godly, godlike. And this godliness has a positive impact not only on us, but on the people around us, our family, uh, our workplace, our communities, our, our, wherever, we, wherever we move, um, we have a positive impact on all those around us, a powerful positive impact because of God's work, God's word at work in us. And we saw that last week. Uh, we saw last week that we've all, we all have a very significant role to play in church to gather as much as we can with other Christians and to be God, just be godly in one another's midst, encouraging one another with the words of God. And in doing so, we grow one another up. Um, whether, you, you know, whether or not you're on the stage or rostered on things, doesn't matter. All, the more important thing we have to do is be godly among one another and that, that grows, that'll grow our church more powerfully than anything else. So we all have this role to play. And this week we're thinking about the fact that transforming grace of Jesus uh, is impactive not only in our close circles like our family, not only in our church, but also in the world as we go out uh, each week. It's, easy to love, it's easier to love one another here at church because there's a high probability you're going to be loved back at church. Not necessarily, you know, sometimes there's conflicts in church too. But there's a high probability if I love someone in church... They're going to love me back. So it's easier, generally, to love people 
in church. But what about when you're out in the world? It's, not, it's, it's much less likely going to be the case that if we love others in the world, they're going to love us back in a godly way. How do we respond when that guy cuts us off in traffic, when we're already tired and stressed and running late ourselves? Do we, do we love him uh, in that moment or her? What do we do when the sales assistant in the shop is horribly rude or just ignores you? Um, when there's no one else in the shop, that happened to us a couple of times um, on Wednesday as we went out uh, shopping. What do you do when a woman almost hits you parking her car, you're walking, in an accessible spot and then she jumps out of the car clearly with no disability, parking an accessible spot and she walks uh, into the shops and you're like, oh, that really gets, like, that kills me when people park in accessible spots when they don't have a disability. I just think it's the most unloving thing. Uh, you can do, and I was really annoyed at this woman the other day who did that and almost hit me in the process as I was walking back to my car. Um, how, do I, how do I respond uh, to that woman? Um, what do we do when we're left out of things? Because we're a Christian, maybe work things. We're, we're excluded, maybe family, maybe you're excluded because you're a Christian. Uh, maybe you're excluded because you don't want to drink a lot at the party so you don't get invited to the parties anymore. Uh, that kind of thing. What do we do when we're fired or very marginalised in our workplace for being Christian, for being unwilling to support organisations that we know the Bible speaks against? What do we do? How do we respond? What about this situation that is beyond our experience but worth thinking about? Um, This is Helen. She's a Christian sister of ours in Eritrea. What do we do if we're beaten and tortured and locked up in a shipping containers, shipping container for years for following Jesus? How do we respond uh, to that kind of evil towards us, that, kind, that level of unkindness? How do we respond? How did she respond? I'm going to tell you later. The best place to start to answer the question of how we respond in the world uh, to people who, who, who are not loving and not kind uh, to us, the best place to start is with God. Um, the answer to all our questions, the best place to start is, is with God and with his word. We're going to skip over verses 1 to 2 for now and go straight to verse 3. We're going to come back to verse 1 and 2 later on. So grab your Bibles. If you close your Bible, open it back up um, to uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, it's good to have your Bible with you. I don't put passages on the screen often. You Okay. Sweetie? Yep. You right? Okay, she's fine. Getting something for Lara. Um, so it's good to have your own Bible. And if, you're, if you don't have a Bible, then pop your... Does anyone want a Bible? Second chance? Last chance? No? Okay. Cool. Um, so to understand just how amazingly merciful and kind God is, Paul gives us this picture of ourselves in verse 3, um, and it's not pretty. Um, you noticed how jewelers, when they kind of show you a diamond ring, they put on a black backdrop to kind of, you know, really enhance the ring so you can really see the ring looks even more magnificent on that black background. Well, to see the goodness and kindness of God the more clearly, we're going to see it against the black backdrop of our own sin and rebellion. So look at verse 3 with me. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. 
This is a description of people who do not have Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. I'm not saying they do all these things all the time, but this is the character of the worldly person in general. They're foolish in it that they don't know the truth that only comes from God. They don't know that he is Lord and King and Saviour and that he has a plan for the world. They disobey God in, in, the, in the sense that they, they don't live his way. They're deceived thinking that their way is best. They know what's best, not God's way. That's the way in which they're deceived. And as a result of this disobedience and this rebellion against God as Lord and King, they're enslaved by worldliness, by passion and by pleasure. And this was me up to the age of 22. Enslaved by worldliness, by passion and pleasure. Our culture is exactly this. We crave pleasure. We live for pleasure. We live to maximise personal comfort and pleasure in the Western world. Certainly in this community, that is largely what we're living for, maximising personal comfort and maximising pleasure. We act not on reason or truth, but on our own desire and passion. That is, that is the growing rhetoric in our culture is do what you feel like doing. Do what you feel is best for you. And what you feel is best for you is good and what I feel is best for me is good and what he feels is best for him is good and it's all good as long as it makes you happy and you don't hurt me too much along the way. That's what the world tells us, but our whole world is deceived, as it says here in the passage, because of disobeying God. Our world is deceived. Without Jesus, we're told... We live in malice and envy, wanting what other people have, being unkind to people to get what we want, being hated and hating one another. It's extreme language, but it's true. Spend enough time on social media and you'll see people hating strangers. They don't even know. And they're into each other on social media, being hated by others and hating others. The truth is that our active distrust of God and disobedience of God, our active distrust in God leads us to become enslaved, passively enslaved. We choose to disobey God and as a result we we end up enslaved. We're victims in a sense. We're trapped. We're stuck. We're enslaved by worldly passions and desires. And we can't get out. We can't just choose and decide to put our trust in God and live the good life that he has for us. We're stuck when we chose to disobey God. Our active disobedience renders us captives to sin in the world. Does that make sense? So we can't get out. We can't change our mind and say, you know what, I'm going to decide to obey God now, because I can see I'm stuck in this. We need a rescuer. And did you notice how many times the word saved was used in verses 4 to 7? It's repeated over and over again. When the kindness and love of God, verse 4, our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, we can't help ourselves, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. 
It takes a team effort, did you notice, to save us? We're pretty well trapped. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all at work in order to save you and me from our sin and our enslavement to worldly desire and passion. Why does God save us? Why does he do it? Is it because we're nice people? I think you're nice people, but is that why God decided to save you and save me? Why does he save people who are rebellious against him? Have you ever made a list of pros and cons to help you make a decision? Who's done that? you made a list of pros and cons make, before you've got a big decision to make? Well, God had this big decision to make. Should I save these people? Maybe he made a list of pros and cons. I doubt that he did. But if he did, it might look something like this. Here's the reasons not to save these people. Let's have a look. They're foolish, they're disobedient, they're deceived, they're enslaved, they're malicious, they're envious, they're hated and hating others. But on the pro side, there's nothing on the pro side. There's nothing about us that makes us worthy of being saved. There's no good in us that God goes, you know what, you're great. I think I'll save you because you're great. We're just this. So why does he save us? Well, because of himself. Not because of us. Because of his kindness. Because of his love. Because of his mercy. That's what we've got going for us. What we've got going against us is this. So what we've got going for us... <laughs> these birds, honestly. What we've... <laughs> What we've got going against us is this. What we've got going for us is God in his kindness and mercy and love. He saved us not because of the, anything we did, but because of his loving mercy. He saved us and then cleansed us by the washing of rebirth by the Holy Spirit. That's why we use water in baptism to, to symbolize the washing of rebirth that happens as a work of the Holy Spirit, a conversion. He cleansed us and rebirthed us spiritually, generously through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love and mercy and kindness appear to us in the world, in the person of Jesus. He came to us in our all this stuff. He came to us in his goodness and kindness. And then through faith in his death and resurrection for us, we are given the hope of eternal life. We as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have every reason to live our lives with great hope no matter what's happening in the world. Fires, floods, pandemics, we still live with great hope because of Jesus. And we have every reason to live with great love for others despite how they might treat us because of God's love poured out to us through Jesus because of the washing of the Holy Spirit. We're in him, we're in Christ, we're his people. We have. He has given us every reason to love others, irrespective of how they treat us. It's nice in church to love others and be loved back. It is. It's wonderful. But it's not to be expected in the world. It's happened sometimes. Lots of people are great. But it's not to be expected in the world. Now, this is the gospel this is the good news of great hope for all nations that God holds out for all people in his word, the Bible. So verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. This gospel is trustworthy. 
What we've been given in Christ is trustworthy. I feel like we live in an age of increasing untrustworthiness. As community has broken down and individualism reigns and people kind of out for themselves, it's harder and harder and harder to trust. This is trustworthy. And I, Paul, want you, Titus, and us as well, to stress these things, these good truths of the God's word, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves, note the strong language, stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, no matter what. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Profitable for us, profitable for our families, our church and the world. As we do good, it's profitable for everyone we're in contact with. Stress these things, these truths. Urge people strongly to listen and then to do them. Friends, listen to these truths that we're about to look at in verses 1 to 2 and 9 to 15 and then do them. Devote yourselves to doing what is good. It is excellent and is profitable for everyone. So what are we to do as Christians in the world? Well, let's have a look. It's written down for us. That's helpful. Um, What's it look like to live the good life in the world? Let's head back to verse 1 in our Bibles. Remind the people, (coughs) excuse me, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, always to be gentle toward everyone. That's hard, isn't it? The Roman historian Polybius wrote that the Cretans, the people who Titus was sent to to teach the gospel, were constantly involved in insurrections, murders and wars. They were under the Roman rule at the time and they were constantly railing against uh, those who had rule over them, constantly trying to throw off the yoke of, of of their leaders through violence. Romans 13, which we looked at last year, teaches us we ought not do that. We don't try to throw off our rulers. Our rules have been put in place by God no matter what they're like and we are to submit to our authorities Christians submit to the rulers and authorities. They obey them. They do what is good. Now, that's not to say Christian citizens give the state unconditional allegiance. I'm not saying that. Ultimately, we submit to God. And when the law of God and the law of the land collide, our allegiance remains unto God and we must disobey the law of the land. But for the most part, we submit to our rulers in so much as they call upon us to do whatever it is that doesn't contradict our uh, law, God-given law. So we don't slander the government. We don't bag them out when we disagree with them. We respect them. We don't speed when we're driving our car. We don't cheat on our taxes and friends. We don't steal. We don't steal. This is a Seven News article from May last year entitled Streaming Giants Crackdown on Illegal Password Sharers. 
passwords on streaming services may not be shared with individuals beyond your household. I know many of you are doing it. And it's against the law. And we're Christians. So we obey the law. We don't look for ways to cheat the system and dodge the system. We respect and submit to the system so as long as it doesn't require us to break God's law. It's not Christian generosity to share your password with Aunt Mildred who can't afford it. Pay for her account for her if you want, but don't steal one for her. And if any of you are feeling singled out, believe me when I say I've had this conversation multiple times very recently with multiple different people. Sharing your streaming passwords is stealing outside of your household, outside of your home. If they don't live with you, they can't have your password. Now, verse 2, just in case you think I'm mistakenly squeaky clean standing over here, and I am when it comes to sharing streaming services password, we get to verse 2 and all of a sudden I'm not squeaky clean anymore at all. Always be gentle toward everyone. Okay, now I'm in trouble. Now let's not have a show of hands from the congregation of people who I've been harsh to at some point over the last number of years. There are many on the list, sadly, and I'm not proud of that. I'm, I can be harsh at times. And this is a real rebuke and challenge to me. Be gentle toward everyone all the time, Gavin, and everyone. Not just sometimes, not just when you've had a good sleep the night before, not just when things are going well for you. Always be gentle toward everyone, toward everyone everyone even the slanderer even the person that cuts you off or almost runs you over <laughs> always be gentle towards everyone don't slander anyone be peaceable always be gentle if there's a report card for me the teacher would definitely say there's room for improvement here for gavin in terms of being gentle with everyone all the time now if anyone knows jono many of you know jono he's going to preach here next week He's overseeing things while I'm away on long service leave, starting in a few weeks' time. This is him, really is. He is peaceable and considerate and gentle 99.9% of the time. He's a godly man. And we can mistakenly think that people like this, who are always peaceable and always considerate and always gentle, are weak. That's a mistake. Because this is what Jesus was like. Jesus was always peaceable, always considerate and gentle, with everyone, yes, he rebuked people when it was necessary, but he was always seeking good and peace for everyone. And this is what we're supposed to be like as well if we're Christians. It's not okay to throw your weight around and be entitled and demand what you think is rightly yours, even if it is rightly yours. We are to be peaceable and considerate in the world. Because the greater calling, the greater good is that people will be led to Christ. Not that you get what you're owed in the world. But people will be led to Christ. I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm not saying accept abuse. I'm saying be peaceable and considerate. Look to be peaceable and considerate in all situations. Be gentle with everyone at all times. Even in the face of disrespect or abuse or persecution. 
We don't repay evil with evil. We repay evil with good. That's what Jesus did and that's what he wants us to do as well. And the hard thing is that being peaceable, considerate and gentle in the world is often met with malice and envy and hatred from the world. That's hard. But that's our calling and the Holy Spirit is with us to help us. God's plan for his people is always godliness in the home, in the church, in the world. And not only do we have the Holy Spirit to help us, we have one another. We have our church family to help us. We need each other. It's hard to do this out there. It's really hard. We need one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on. We need to regather, be loved, be encouraged, be lifted back up and picked back up and dusted off and sent back out into the world. We need one another, which is why verses 9 to 11 make so much sense. 9 to 11 Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable. Warn divisive people and if they won't stop, have nothing to do with them. Like it's so important that we function as a family together, that we're looking after another and loving one another, that we're godly in here at least so that we've got any chance of being godly out there. If We don't want to quarrel and argue and (laughs) engage in foolish divisions in here. It's good. It's good to have disagreements and nut things out together in love and work out what's the best way forward. We did that yesterday. We had some disagreements in our leadership team conference and what about this one? I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. And we nutted it out together and that's good. We're talking about divisive people. If there's divisive people in the church, warn them. If you don't, I will. And if they won't stop, have nothing to do with them. We need to work together. Increasingly, our culture is argumentative and self-centred. People are in it for themselves. They'll lie and cheat and steal to get to where they want to get. They'll tread on people to get to where they want to go. It's sad. And the solution is not to play the same game, but to play the opposite game, to love, to live the good life, to live the godly life. And in their greatest need, people will see that you have something good that they don't have and they'll want it and they'll ask, why are you calm all the time when all this is going on? Why do you seem peaceful when everyone else is freaking out? Why do you smile when everyone else is frowning? We have hope. We have God's kindness. We have God's love to give. We don't need anyone else's approval. We have God's approval. It doesn't matter what other people think of us. God thinks good of us because of Christ. Christians, we're to be salt and light in the world, to shine like stars in this crooked and evil generation. We're to live the good life, which is actually excellent, according to this, and profitable for everyone, according to God's word. So it must be right. It's powerful. Godliness is powerful. It doesn't seem powerful, but it is. It impacts people. Paul offers his final greetings, his last words to Titus and the church. And the last thing he says is, grace be with you all. This instruction is not just for Titus. It's not just for the elders of the church. This is for everyone. It's for all of us. So what do these things mean for us today? Well, firstly, you are dearly loved by God. God's love is abundant. 
merciful. It's undeserved, but we have it. And in abundance. Remember when Jesus turned water into wine? It was the very best wine and there was hundreds of litres of it. That's what God's character is like. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and there was 12 huge basketfuls of food left over after he miraculously multiplied the fish and the bread? That's what God's love is like. It's abundant. It's overflowing. That's what his kindness is like. And that's what's on offer to us. That's what we have. Maybe your trust isn't in Jesus yet. Maybe you're still on the fence trying to work out, is there a way I can save myself? Is there a way I can work this out for myself? Well, the Bible says you can't. You're enslaved by worldly passions and desires. You need a saviour and you have a saviour in Jesus. God's word assures us that if we put our trust in Jesus, he will save us, he will rescue us, he will wash us and cleanse us and give us new life and eternal hope in Christ. So put your trust in Jesus today, if you haven't already. And then we share that gospel with the world around us through godliness, through acting as Jesus did, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not the whole world at once, but just a few people each day that you come into contact with. Love them unconditionally as you have been loved. It's hard. You need to pray. But we're all in your corner. Secondly, godliness matters. It matters in the world more today than than ever. And I think more tomorrow than it will today, the way our culture's heading The world tells us that what's good for you is good and what's good for me is good and everyone's right and no one's wrong. Well, that's not right. (laughs) The Bible's telling us today is that what someone thinks is good isn't actually necessarily good for them or anyone else, possibly. But these things, these gospel truths that we have in our hands this morning in our laps are excellent and are profitable for everyone. Living God's good... God's given good life in the world matters. It makes a difference. It makes an impact. It is excellent that you guys try to live godly lives in the world. It's a good thing and it matters, so keep it up. It's great. Yes, we're saved by God. Yes, we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, you have a decision to make each and every day when you get out of bed and walk out the door. Will I be peaceable today or aggressive? Will I be gentle or harsh? Will I fight back or will I love back? And I think if we can make that decision in the first instance, in the morning, preferably as you've read the Bible and prayed and you know, set the tone for your day, I'm going to love people no matter what today. When that situation arises, the decision was made five hours ago when you're in the office and that person's in your face and you're like, oh, I just want to yell back or throw a haymaker at the moment. But I decided this morning... I'm going to love this person because that's what Jesus wants me to do. When you choose the good life, friends, good on you for living the good life in the world. It's hard. And it's much harder for our brothers and sisters across the world. So I'm going to tell you this story, which is extreme, just to give us a bit of perspective on our life. Our lives, it is hard in our culture, which is increasingly 
but it could be a lot worse, right? So let's just gain a bit of perspective. At the beginning, I mentioned our sister Helen, who was arrested and tortured in a prison in Eritrea for her faith in Jesus. Here's how she responded. She was locked in a shipping container in the dark, which was freezing in winter and searing hot in the summer. She was in there for three years, and this is what she said. The only thing we can do now is sing. What else are we going to do? Let's sing. We worship God because he gave us life. We started singing. Thank you, God, for this cold. They had a toilet that was a, a hole in the ground in view of all the guards. Thank you, God, for this toilet. Thank you, God, for everything. The guards were shocked when we sang inside the metal container. They opened the container and tortured us with this black metal stick that burned our bodies. She continued to evangelize the guards and share God's word with them. They tortured her all the more. And this is what she said. For me, to be tortured for Christ, it's amazing. So they took me and said, we know you're teaching many prisoners. You must stop teaching guards. I was in prison for three years now for preaching the gospel. I said, no, even for you, you need God. So he took the stick to torture me. She reminded herself that when Jesus was tortured, she said nothing. he said nothing. I kept silent. The guard tortured me countless times. He said, I need your hands to torture them because they're the ones writing. They beat me everywhere. My whole body started shaking. They gave me five minutes rest and said, Helen, you must stop saying Jesus. I said, no. I accept him until death. I said, I cannot stop saying Jesus. He is my life. My body was red and blue. The guard was the one exhausted. He said, Helen, what do you think? I said, you're doing your job and I'm doing my father's job. I couldn't stand, and I was taken to the container again. Later, she was released. She was hospitalised and made a full recovery and was reunited with her daughter. You're doing your job. I'm doing my father's job. The world is full of malice and envy and hate, And when we're confronted with malice and envy and hate, we're confronted with a person who's enslaved by worldly passions and desires and they're just doing their job. They don't have Jesus. And we need to do our Father's job, which is to love them like Christ. Let me pray. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for your immense goodness to us and kindness and mercy and love. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for hope, for peace in our hearts. We thank you for one another, to encourage one another, to keep living the way you want us to, to keep living good lives, godly lives, to be ready to share the gospel whenever we get a chance. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit for those moments when we're confronted, when we're treated poorly, when we're persecuted perhaps for our faith. And we'll be ready like Helen to just keep doing the good work which you've given us to do no matter what. Use us, we pray, in our godliness that you've blessed us with to bring people to saving faith. 
May people see our good works and then look to us when times are hard for them and find hope in the gospel that we can give to them. In Jesus' name, amen.